Turn with me again to the book of Luke, chapter 12, beginning there in verse 13, and follow along as I read about this occasion where a large crowd had gathered to hear the Lord Jesus teach. And as Jesus was speaking, one that was in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater ones. And there I will store all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In the book of Exodus chapter 20, the Lord gave us 10 basic rules of law that he said that we really must follow and obey. And while our natural minds do have difficulty understanding many of the spiritual truths given in these scriptures, for the most part, we are able to read those words given there in the Ten Commandments and we can comprehend most of what they tell us. And for me, that's true for those first nine commandments. But I must confess that I struggle to fully comprehend the meaning of those last words, the Tenth Commandment, the one about covetousness, the sin that Jesus was warning this crowd about in the words of our scripture text that I just read. Listen to these words about covetousness that God gave us there in Exodus chapter 20 in the 10th commandment. There we're told, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, On the surface, it would seem that these words are somewhat simple. But the more I've studied them, the more I've realized that their meaning is far more complex and far more wide-ranging than they at first seem to be. Yes, these words do mean that I'm not to covet or to desire or to lust after or even want any of those things that belong to my neighbor. And yes, the words of this commandment are very specific. I think especially about the words that prohibit a man from coveting his neighbor's wife. And that also applies to women not coveting their neighbor's husband. It's easy to see from the high divorce rate that takes place within our culture that that manner of coveting is rampant within the culture. It's rampant today. And it's just as rampant within the Christian church as it is in the secular world. Just as many Christians get divorced as unbelievers. But this commandment 
is clearly not limited to just our lusting after and coveting my neighbor's wife or the things that my neighbor owns. Rather, within these words, Jesus seemed to be giving some more wide-ranging principles of life that need to be applied to all manner of our desires for the things of this world. I'm reminded of the words given to us in 1 John chapter 2 that warn us about loving the things of this world. Listen to these words given to us in 1 John 2. There in verse 15, he tells us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So then, as we consider this 10th commandment from God about our not coveting those things that belong to our neighbor, and then also as we consider the words given to us here by the Lord Jesus in our scripture passage, it would seem that God is going well beyond just instructing us not to want or to lust after some of the things that my neighbor owns. No, this sin of coveting is just far more devious than that. I'm reminded of the warning that's given in James chapter 1 about how most sin seems to start. There the Lord tells us that each person, listen carefully to these words, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and then sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here, in these words, we're told that most sin begins with just a simple thought within our minds. Just a simple thought. With this sin of coveting, it seems that it's probably just as simple as our seeing something that we like. And if it's left to linger there, if that thought is left to linger there within our minds, we can eventually start to want that thing, or at least one just like it. And then, if it's left to linger further... That thought continues to grow and grow until it's fully grown into lust. If I look over the fence at my neighbor's pickup truck and I like it, if I stare at that truck every day, things will begin to take place within my mind. Those thoughts then grow and grow until they can grow into lust. And then that lust will grow into sin. And sin eventually will grow into death. It's the way of our minds. And it's the way of the sinful nature that we inherited from our first mom and dad, Eve and Adam. Contrary, folks, contrary to the beliefs of so many foolish people of our day, we are not born into this world good and loving and kind. We are not. We're born with a heart that is already corrupt. And it's a short an easy step that carries us on into sins like that of covetousness. Those words in Jeremiah chapter 17 that I've read for us so often. The heart, my heart, your heart, the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's desperately wicked. And it asks the question, who can know it? Those words of Jeremiah, they're simple to understand. You and I really do come into this world with a corrupt heart and mind. 
And it only gets worse as we grow up and live in amongst the corrupt culture of this world. We are continually learning its ways and desiring its corrupt fruits. And with that as our beginning, is it any wonder that we do the things like are spoken about here of coveting as a natural tendency of our heart? Here in these words of the Lord Jesus, He gives us at least two different ways that we can covet. Listen again to these words, beginning in verse 13 of our text. One from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Now, while we're not given the full context of this circumstance of this man asking Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance from his father, each of the brothers may have been guilty of coveting. Each of them. In the Jewish culture of that day, an older brother most often was entitled to a larger portion of the father's estate. Perhaps that older brother was not dividing the inheritance properly. Or perhaps the inheritance was not something that was easily divided. And it would damage the inheritance to divide it. And not knowing those circumstances, the sin of covetousness may have been then within either of those brothers. Or both. We do know that covetousness was taking place. Because we know that Jesus always knew the thoughts of all of the people around him. And here Jesus brought their sin to the surface by saying, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's one way of coveting. And then also to instruct us further about this sin of coveting, Jesus went on to give the parable of the rich farmer. This rich farmer who was already wealthy, but he wanted more and more wealth. Listen to these words beginning in verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns, and I'll build greater ones. And there I will store all of my crops and all of my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We see here where the sin of coveting was not just limited to one person wanting something that another person has. It's sometimes just wanting and lusting after more and more gain. Wanting and lusting after more and more gain. As Jesus put it here in these words, in the abundance of the things we possess. And that's another part of the nature of this sin of coveting. It seems to have other sins, equally bad sins, embedded within it. Feeding its nature. And especially the sins of envy and greed. Envy and greed. And while, yes, most all of us are greedy, most all of us are envious, may I, for today, leave you to examine your heart 
And I'll limit my observation of this sin of covetousness to examples and behaviors that I see taking place within myself, within my own heart and mind. So firstly, I personally really, really don't want to be intentionally greedy or envious. And I know that you don't. You don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that way. But folks, listen. I know that I am. I know that I am. It's within my nature. And unfortunately, too often, I allow that sinful nature to rise up within me. And I also think that I can honestly say that I've never desired to be really wealthy. I don't remember ever desiring to be really wealthy. But let me confess that I have desired many of those things that wealth can buy. And while, no, I may not want that new fancy pickup truck that my neighbor drives, Unfortunately, I do want one just like it. I do want one just like it. And I can also recall in times past how I wanted a bigger and prettier house like that one that my neighbor lives in. And yes, also, I've wanted the freedom to travel and go to those exotic places and to have all the money that that kind of trip requires. And while such desires as those might not seem to fit the exact definition that are get, that's given here in the Ten Commandments concerning this word covet. As I read these words given by the Lord Jesus here in this passage today, I have no doubt, I have no doubt that His definition fits me really well. I am covetous. A friend of mine is fond of quoting one of the sayings passed along from his father. And with regard to money, when asked how much money that he made. Instead of answering that question directly, his father would simply reply, never enough, never enough. And that really should bring a question to each of our minds. When is enough ever enough? And although we may not be able to come up with a clever response, one as clever as my friend's father's answer, hidden within the depths of our hearts and our minds, is probably something that's very similar. Very similar. Never enough. Never enough. And that seems to be the kind of greed and covetousness that Jesus was telling us about in this parable of this rich farmer. When it comes to money and all the possibilities that it has to offer, travel, entertainment, all those many things that we want that money can buy, and especially the positions of power that wealthy people seem to have. There's a hunger that seems to develop within us, and it never seems to be satisfied. Never seems to be satisfied. And while you and I might not be able to imagine what real wealth is like, the dollar amount of wealth is really only relative to our imagination. Yes, my wife and I do love the home that God has provided for us. But we cannot help but marvel at some of the homes within just a few blocks of our own. Homes that dwarf our house in size and in style. And that's minor as compared to so much of the rest of the world. Often as I've scrolled through the various articles on my computer, a featured story will come up about the mansions and the opulent lifestyles enjoyed by some of the billionaires of our country. All of those amenities that are spoken about in the descriptions of their homes, I recall one in particular that had 30 bedrooms, 
three swimming pools, a private theater that would seat over a hundred people, and a yacht that cost, well, in the hundreds of millions of dollars. All of that bespeaks that yearning that I mentioned a moment ago, that yearning that cries out within us, never enough, never enough. Most of those wealthy people did exactly as these scriptures describe. They tore down their homes or sold them in order to build or buy bigger ones. Then listen to these words. I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Now eat, drink, and be merry. Now some of those wealthy people have done that very thing. They have relaxed, they have rested and enjoyed their possessions. But listen, oddly, oddly, most of them do not do that. And why? It's because that yearning that never seems to go away, that yearning that continually cries out, never enough, never enough, it takes place all of the time. And so then they turn and they tear down and they build even bigger. But now, lest we be guilty of noticing that splinter that's in our wealthy brother's eye while not seeing the boulder that's within our own eye. As I mentioned a moment ago, we need to examine ourselves about those same kinds of yearnings within our own souls. Those yearnings within us that cry out, never enough. While it's true that you and I might never be able to imagine the sort of wealth and lifestyle that exists within those realms and circles of real wealth, we do need to keep it all in perspective. As I mentioned a moment ago, money and the desire for money and the desire for the things that money can buy, it's very relative, very relative to our circumstance. That yearning, that cry of never enough is present within even the poorest of those among us. Even the poorest. Even those homeless men and women that live there on the streets. Along with the wealthiest of people, their hearts, these homeless people's hearts, also cry out for more and more. And their hearts are also crying, never enough, never enough. And the wealth that people accumulate, it's not always gotten in the most legitimate of ways. Sometimes it's ill-gotten, earned at the expense or loss of others. And while we hear most about the corrupt dealings of the rich and famous, the poor do the very same thing. The poor do the very same thing to one another. They cheat, they lie, they steal from one another. Yes, it's a smaller amount of money, but it's the very same spirit taking place within them, that covetous spirit. The foundational sins of greed and envy and covetousness that provoke and they fuel the unceasing desire for more and more, they're all exactly the same. It's only the amount of money that we have that's different. On that high end of the spectrum are probably people like Bernie Madoff, whose Ponzi scheme cheated people out of nearly $50 billion. But the other end, at the other end of that spectrum, this very day, all over this country, there are armed robberies taking place, people hurting and killing for just a few dollars. Just a few dollars. And again, it's greed and it's envy and it's covetousness that's at the heart of that behavior calling out within those men and women's souls, never enough, never enough. 
But again, you and I need to keep reminding ourselves that those sins are also present within each of us, within you and me. Those sins just manifest themselves differently within us. Now, you and I might not be violent, but are we any less greedy? Are we any less greedy or covetous or envious? I would suggest that some, perhaps many of those people who lost their fortunes to those Ponzi schemes, they were themselves greedy. Covetousness and envy in just looking for a higher return, a higher than usual return, one that dazzles our mind. That's one of those common lures that draws people into those kinds of schemes. And each of us have at one time or another been lured in that way. Perhaps we haven't lost a lot of money, as many people did, but those same lures have taken place within us when we think we can get something for nothing. As I mentioned earlier, as in those lawsuits where we sue someone for more money than is needed to pay our bills. Here in our scripture passage, a man, perhaps of the same relative income level as you and I, he asked Jesus to mediate between him and his brother in regard to their family inheritance. Now, we don't know the circumstances I mentioned a moment ago, but we do know from Jesus' response that there was covetousness taking place within that man's heart. Perhaps he had been accustomed to enjoying a more comfortable lifestyle while his father was still alive. But now with his father's passing, his provision was then dramatically reduced. And instead of learning to live with less, he wanted Jesus to restore his comfortable lifestyle. And that's another lesson for us. Folks, in all such matters of life, God truly does have a plan and a purpose. And if we just get caught up in eating and drinking and being merry and we don't consider the plans of God, He'll surely bring a provocation that causes us to make choices. If the choice that we make is similar to this young man, the choice to simply complain about the circumstances, then listen, we should not be surprised, as with this young man, if God does not grant our petition. We may have thought that we were mistreated in a particular business transaction. And so we're asking God to intervene, just as this young man was doing. We need to examine our own heart and see if our own heart is pure in our request. If it is not, we should not be surprised if God does not grant our petition, just as with the Lord Jesus here. We need to understand that God wants you and me to be righteous and holy and not greedy and envious and covetous. He'll not answer our prayers if they're founded upon sin. The charge to you and me from these scriptures is to turn from our common desires of greed and envy and covetousness and to instead become givers. He tells us that. He wants us to become givers instead of takers and to do as verse 21 commands, to be rich towards God. If we do that, then our God will supply all of our needs. Folks, in each of our lives, God may bring us very little, or He may bring us an adequate lifestyle, or He may choose to bring us a lavish provision. Our response is ever and always to be one of gratefulness and of thankfulness to Him for His blessed provision. 
I'll close with Philippians 4.19, but let me explain it to you briefly. The words of Philippians 4.19 are this, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. These words were spoken to people who had given all that they could give. Their hearts were open. They were not covetous or greedy. They freely gave. And the Lord was telling these people through the words of the Apostle Paul where he said, Because you have been such a good giver, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, thank you. Thank you that we can trust you to meet our needs. We don't have to be envious and covetous and and greedy and reach for that which we really don't need. We should never, Father, respond to that yearning within us that says never enough, never enough. Help us to humble ourselves and depend upon your provision. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.